0: Barley
1: Snyder's COVID-19 Show Hello and welcome to the Barley Snyder COVID-19 Legal Update Podcast. Barley Snyder is a full-service business law firm with over 100 attorneys practicing out of offices located in central Pennsylvania and Maryland. My name is David Friedman, and I am the host of the Barley Snyder COVID-19 Legal Update Podcast. I am a partner with Barley Snyder's Employment Law Group, focusing my practice on labor and employment litigation, higher education law, and business immigration. Before we get started, please, listeners, understand that the information provided during episodes of Barley Snyder's COVID-19 Legal Update podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or as a substitute for legal counsel. If you have questions about your legal situation or about how to apply information discussed in this episode to your situation, you should consult an attorney for assistance. As we move into month number four of the COVID 19 crisis, we have seen a spike in new cases across much of the southern half of the continental United States, including states like Arizona, Texas, and Florida. Cases here in Pennsylvania appear to have plateaued, at least for the present. Here, the talk is all about red, yellow, and green, the various stages in Governor Wolf's three stage plan for reopening. In the mid-state, all counties have crossed into at least yellow, and many counties, including York, Adams, and Dauphin, either have already moved into the green phase or will have done so by the time this episode airs. Today, we welcome to our show Marty Siegel, who is a member of Barley Snyder's Real Estate and Environment and Energy Practice Groups. Marty has decades of experience as a litigator in both public service and in the private sector. He spent more than 20 years as a litigator at the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection and his work in the private sector is involved representing businesses on both environmental and energy issues. In addition to his legal education, Marty also has a master's degree in public health from the Bloomberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins University. So it's not surprising Marty has worked in federal government positions at U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the U.S. Department of Energy's Pacific Northwest Laboratory. Marty's unique combination of experience in the public sphere, the private sphere, and work on public health issues made him the obvious selection to head up Barley Snyder's COVID-19 response team. So for the past three plus months, he's been living and breathing everything COVID-19 except let's hope that he hasn't actually been breathing
2: in COVID-19. Welcome aboard, Marty. How you doing? Great. Uh, hopefully, I am not breathing in every, anything dangerous. And uh, Thank you for having me. On no the
1: fever, no cough, everything all right? <clears throat> so far, so good. <laughs> it's clear the throat there. All right, let's dig into this stuff, Marty. Red, yellow, green, will someone
2: please tell me when is life going to get back to normal? There's not going to be an easy answer to that one. Health experts have generally said that the virus is going to dictate how and when we reopen as a society. To fall back on what's fast becoming a hackneyed term, uh, we will be in a new normal for a while, uh, at least until there's a generally available vaccine. As we move to a general reopening of economic activity, Businesses need to continue to monitor evolving government directives and guidance and be prepared, you know, in the event that we experience a second wave of the pandemic or short of that, if there are localized hotspots that need to be addressed. Okay, well,
1: we'll get We'll dig into that in a little bit more detail. But, you know, I'm hearing people are going green. We've got some counties here in green in the mid state. Green means go right when we get
2: to green everything should go back to normal, right? I mean, that's what that means. Well, you know, normal is really just a social construct. Moving to green does not transport us back to the halcyon days of what it was like six months ago. While generally all businesses can reopen, business activities will still be subject to a number of restrictions. In addition, large gatherings uh, like professional sporting events, will still be prohibited even in the green phase. So again, you'll hear me say this, until the vaccine is developed, and that's not a complete guarantee, but that's assumed that an effective vaccine will become available sometime in 2021, society will be still operating under some degree of restriction. Normal is just a social construct. I think
1: I'm gonna get that tattooed on (laughs) me. Okay. I'm going to put it on t shirts. Yeah, excellent. Good idea. All right, so, Marty, but is all this color coding still even valid? I, I thought I heard that the General Assembly passed a resolution overriding the governor's orders. What's the status of
2: that? The General Assembly did pass a resolution that is now in the courts. Uh, last week, the General Assembly passed a resolution largely along party lines seeking to have Governor Wolf rescind his emergency proclamation, which he had issued back in March and then renewed at the beginning of June. The proclamation authorized the redirecting of funding and the suspension of a number of regulatory requirements to streamline the response to the pandemic. The proclamation, without getting too much into on this, was issued under the authority of the Emergency Management Services Code. That law authorizes the General Assembly by concurrent resolution to require the governor to terminate the emergency proclamation. The governors refuse to do so. The General Assembly last week filed an action in Commonwealth Court to require the governor to act and to rescind the proclamation.
1: Is that where things stand in the court system right now, that the matter is currently pending before the Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court?
2: It is. It is. In brief, as I said, the litigation was filed last week. The governor has until this Thursday, June 18th, to respond to that litigation. Oral argument is now scheduled before Commonwealth Court for June 29th. Uh, Governor Wolf has also gone directly to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, asking that court to assume jurisdiction over the matter. We are still waiting to hear what's going to happen on that front. Well, do you
1: have any preview for us about what the various parties in this litigation will argue? What, what's the General Assembly going to argue its authority is for terminating these orders? And, and how is Governor Wolf, do you think, going to respond to that?
2: Well, the General Assembly's argument really is quite simple. They claim that the Emergency Management Services Code is clear. That once the General Assembly passes a concurrent resolution to end the emergency proclamation, the governor has no discretion and must issue an order ending that proclamation. It appears that the governor's legal argument will be that the Pennsylvania Constitution requires that any concurrent resolution be presented to him and allow him the opportunity to veto that action. It appears that the General Assembly would not have the votes necessary to override such a veto. The governor has also taken the position that even if the emergency proclamation was rescinded, that that by itself would not reopen any businesses. The Department of Health has issued a number of orders that are very specific. They set up the phasing for reopening. Those would not go away. And those orders were issued under the authority of other statutes in addition to this emergency proclamation. So the governor has taken the position that if you end the emergency proclamation, a lot of the good things, the streamlining of regulations to help address the pandemic, the redirecting of funds would go away, but really no new, new business openings would happen.
1: So the, the red, yellow, green that I've been talking about here, that is not necessarily going to be a subject of this litigation right now. Is that right? But that's a different law that, that authorized
2: those orders. That's certainly the governor's position. And in fact, by the time this gets decided, everything's probably going to be in green. And even though, as we said, green still involves some restrictions. So even in a green phase, things do not go back to what they were six months ago. Okay. Well, you know, you you
1: hit a little bit on this at the top of the show. uh, But I keep hearing public health experts speaking to the media, warning all of us about a second wave coming this fall. What are some things that businesses that are in the midst of reopening right now need to keep in mind about that potential second wave this fall?
2: Well, first of all, I should note that we all should remain humble about what we don't know about the virus. When they call this the novel coronavirus, they say that for a reason, it is novel, it's new. People look at this, they look at past epidemics from other viruses and other outbreaks and try to predict what's going to go on, but there remains a lot we don't know. So first and foremost, businesses should continue to stay abreast and follow guidances from the Department of Health and CDC. Uh, This means things like keep doing the social distancing, Keep wearing masks, identify potential cases among their employees, notify public health officials when they identify cases that break out in their places of business. Unfortunately, as I said, this enhanced diligence will need to be maintained until we have a vaccine. And everyone needs to be prepared for a potential to move back to have restrictions reimposed if there is a second wave of this. Yikes. I mean, I hearken back to the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic where the initial outbreak was in the winter and spring. Things died down during the summer and things came back with a vengeance the next fall and winter. People tend to let down their guard. People tend to wish these things away. Now, there's no guarantee there will be a second wave, but businesses need to be aware that that could happen and think again what would they do if there's either a localized outbreak at their facility or if there's a general uptick in the region that may require the reimposition of these requirements or so we are not close to being out of the woods on this yet.
1: So COVID-19 the uninvited guest will remain with us for the foreseeable future is I think the message we're getting here. Great information, Marty. I really appreciate everything you've done for our firm and for filling in our clients uh, on a consistent, ongoing basis about these issues. Uh, Folks, please tune in to the Barley Snyder client updates that Marty and his team have been putting together. They have really been helping folks out and are keeping up to date on this stuff on a daily basis. So thanks for joining us, Marty. Thank you. So our next guest is no stranger to this show. Josh Schwartz is a partner with Barley Snyder's Employment Law Group. Listeners might recall that Josh was on our show previously helping us understand what employers need to know to navigate the unique set of workplace safety issues that COVID-19 has created. We plan to have Josh team up with Marty to talk a little bit about how employers are navigating those changes. But that is just gonna have to wait until another time because the US Supreme Court issued a landmark employment law ruling this week. Specifically, the Supreme Court held that federal anti-discrimination laws prohibiting discrimination because of sex doesn't just prohibit discrimination because of gender, it also prohibits discrimination because of sexual orientation and gender identity. Josh, this issue of legal protections for LGBT employees, it's been unresolved for decades now. Describe for us what the court found and why. Good morning, David. Thanks for
0: having me back on the podcast. So, as you say, the issue before the court was whether Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits employment discrimination against individuals, quote, because of sex, encompasses a prohibition on discrimination because of sexual orientation or gender identity. And the court held that the answer was yes. Uh, The court said that the phrase because of sex is incredibly broad and noted that in the past, it has been held to include things like sexual harassment or discrimination on the basis of motherhood. So it's not just cases in which someone is discriminated purely and solely or exclusively on the basis of biological sex. Uh, Then the court examined sexual orientation and gender identity and explained that those are inextricably bound up with sex. For example, when an employer fires an employee who was born as a male because he now identifies as female, The employer is clearly taking into consideration the employee's biological sex as part of that inquiry. It's part of the definition of being transgender. Likewise, if an employer fires a female employee because she is attracted to other females, once again, the employer is taking into consideration the employee's sex because it's part of the definition of being gay. Ultimately, the court held that the plain language of Title VII, again, the phrase because of sex, prohibits discrimination on account of sexual orientation or gender identity.
1: So, Josh, this sounds like what we hear sometimes legal journalists talk about as a textualist decision, Um, because, you know, emphasizing the text of the statute, that phrase, because of sex, uh, you know, that textualism is traditionally identified with the court's more conservative wing. So I'm wondering... Did the justices in this case break down along those traditional liberal conservative lines in this decision? So sort of. Uh, The
0: decision was six to three with one majority opinion and two dissenting opinions. And what we tend to think of as the liberal wing of the Supreme Court, that's justices Ginsburg, Breyer, Kagan, and Sotomayor were part of the sixth justice majority. However, The opinion was written by Justice Gorsuch, who's a Donald Trump appointee to the court, and he's typically considered part of the more conservative wing, and was joined by Justice Roberts, currently considered the quote unquote, swing justice on some issues, but clearly a very conservative justice generally, and a George W. Bush appointee. I would just point out that there was one majority opinion and two dissenting opinions And all three of them, I would argue, take a textualist approach, as you say. They just came down in different ways in what the text of the statute says. But as we read the the opinions, it is really stunning in some ways how many dictionaries were consulted and other resources looking for how to interpret the text because of sex and the rest
1: of the language in Title VII. It's sort of like my dream come true. Uh, So let's get out of the world of, uh, you know, nerdy lawyerdom, and let's get into some of the practicalities. What what do you think this is going to mean for employers in Pennsylvania moving forward? Are there any immediate actions employers should take in light of this ruling?
0: Well, clearly the legal landscape has changed with the addition of a new protected class of employees under federal law. As a practical matter, I would hope that most employers in Pennsylvania are already not discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. But certainly, employers should be aware of the additional possible basis for liability and ensure that their policies and training are up to date. I also suspect that some employers may not be paying as much attention to sexual harassment against LGBT employees. And I think that that will become a bigger area of litigation. So while many employers may say, well, we're not going to refuse to hire someone because they're gay or fire someone because they are transgender, there may not be as much attention paid to the kind of discussion or joking around or teasing in the workplace towards LGBT employees as there should be. And I, I do think this will become a bigger area of litigation.
1: Well, that's it. That, that certainly seems to me like that will be an area for uh, additional litigation in the future. Are there any other issues for the federal courts to hash out about the scope of these legal protections for LGBT employees? As you can imagine, there are quite a few. So for one thing, Justice Gorsuch's
0: opinion explicitly left for another day the scope of any potential religious exemption to Title VII's non-discrimination provisions, He called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, or RFRA, a super statute and suggested that it may supersede Title VII in certain cases if non-discrimination would interfere with a business owner's free exercise of religion. And in other opinions, Justices Gorsuch and Roberts have suggested that an employer or business owner's religious beliefs may permit the owner to discriminate under certain contexts. Another issue I would flag is that the court's opinion was explicitly about LGBT employees. There's no explicit reference in the opinions to the Q plus in the LGBTQ plus framework. It's not 100% clear that non-binary individuals or other identities that are less in the mainstream are protected under Title VII. I would argue as an attorney that the opinion fairly strongly suggests that they would be, because the term gender identity is used broadly, and the term because of sex, it's re-emphasized over and over in the majority opinion how broad it would be. But I do want to caution that it's not an entirely done deal. And I think we need to wait for the EEOC to speak on this with guidance and
1: for courts to flesh out the full scope. Well, thanks for giving us your insight on that. And Josh, please promise to come back and talk to us about those issues when we get some noteworthy rulings. Absolutely. I enjoy spending time with you, David. Thanks again. And, and, and the feeling is mutual. Thank you both Marty and Josh for your time today and all the great work you've done for our firm and our clients during these extraordinary times. We're lucky to have both of you on our team. Listeners, we'll be taking a few weeks off from the podcast and returning with a more expanded focus Unfortunately, I don't think we'll be finished with COVID-19 related legal issues for some time, but we are going to try to expand the scope of this podcast to include some discussions about other non-COVID-19 legal issues. And even in the COVID-19 front, we're going to try to bring in some guests from the outside to share their perspectives about the issues we've been discussing. Until then, listeners, keep in mind what John Lennon once said, there are no problems, only solutions." Adiós amigos, nos vemos por muy pronto.